Welcome to the McKinsey on Finance podcast, where experts and practitioners from the firm's corporate finance practice talk about value-creating strategies and the translation of those strategies into company performance. Debate inside the strategy planning room was fierce, but you and your team have finally decided to sell off a business unit. Okay, so now what? In this episode of the McKinsey on Finance podcast, we're focusing on the complicated world of divestitures. Specifically, we're considering the strategic and tactical best practices you can use to get the most value from the company or the asset that you're letting go of. I'm Roberta Fasaro, the editor of McKinsey on Finance, and today I've got two McKinsey colleagues on the line to share their insights. Obi Azakoye is a partner in our Minneapolis office, and Andy West is a senior partner in our Boston office. Obi and Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Roberta. Thank you. The firm has a large trove of data regarding trends in divestiture. What can you tell us about the landscape right now? Are we seeing more separations, fewer separations? Are particular industries being more or less affected? What we're seeing in the market right now is that globally, divestiture activity is still pretty close to an all-time high, and the number of divestiture deals has risen over time. And high-performing companies are, are really capturing the value from divestitures as part of their resource allocation portfolios. We see this across sectors in high-tech, pharma, consumer packaged goods, diversified industrials, automotive, really across all sectors. What factors would you say account for this all-time high? What are some of the the drivers of that trend? There's still low interest rates out in the market, which is uh, creating pressure from the buy side and forcing the conversation. Also, there's portfolio reallocation that more and more management teams are willing to take an objective view on. Also, investor demand, they see some of the performance of some of these high-performing spins. We can't underestimate the role of tax reform. The recent corporate tax rate in the U.S. dropping from 35 to 21 has reduced the tax burden of a lot of divestiture activity. The only other thing I would add, which encompasses a lot of these factors, is the rise of activism as a strategy, whether formally or informally. I think boards uh, and management teams of large companies recognize that Investors are are evaluating them uh, based on the assets that they hold. One of the popular tactics of activists is to ask whether they've been in certain businesses too long or whether they're the rightful owner. It doesn't mean that you have to be in the middle of an activist situation uh, to take a hard look at your portfolio. People are are just taking a much more critical eye um, before others do it for them. So the pressures are there, but the decision to divest is never an easy one. Um, why is this so? What are some of the factors that get in the way of, of people deciding to, to separate from a business unit or asset? There are a few things. If you look at a divestiture in the process, it's not simple, right? I mean, there are a lot of things that tactically have to happen for a company to separate effectively, whether they spin an asset out into the market as, as an IPO, whether they sell part of a a business to uh, another company uh, or to a private equity firm. There are a lot of steps associated with it, and just disentangling the business is is tactically challenging. I think that would be one factor. Along the same lines, you know, divestiture isn't something that managers do every day. So when you're sitting and thinking about your corporate portfolio, where are you going to spend your management time, focus, and effort? You could talk about growing the business. You could talk about competing with with, uh, other companies in your industry. You could talk about innovation. It's easier and more familiar to talk about those things than it is to talk about 
divesting an asset, right, and talking about it in a way that's serious that actually leads to action. Finally, there's a lot of kind of emotional uh, attachment to growth, uh, to revenue, uh, and to businesses that may have a legacy. So to spend the emotional capital, uh, maybe the personal political capital as a manager to spin a business, or to even, frankly, entertain the conversation, you know, it's not something that people will just naturally gravitate to. Once you've, you've spent all that emotional capital and political capital and you've made the decision to divest, what's the best way to ensure that you're getting the most value from the deal? We identified a number of best practices we see when companies have divestitures that are successful. And that's successful both for the parent company and the company that they might be spending or divesting of, and things that weren't in place when the deal was not as successful. We've broken these up into two factors, one strategic best practices and other tactical things to get right in the divestiture process. On the strategic side, you have to look at companies in your portfolio or businesses in your portfolio, rather, with a best donor mindset and really dispassionately asking yourself the question, am I the best donor of these businesses? Also, exploring all types of transactions and possible owners, not just the most obvious. Having a spin as an option in the sale process has helped. Making Divesco attractive, having compelling financials and building a clear equity value story. And then using separation as an opportunity to transform both the parent and Divesco. Obi, can you share some examples of companies that have gotten the strategic piece of this right, say, you know, companies that have, you know, managed to to make Divestco attractive while still keeping order in-house? So one company I know, they review every business in their portfolio on an annual basis, and they're doing this to come to the conclusion, should they fix or optimize a business, should they turbocharge it, so reallocate resources into the business, or should they sell? And in this process, they ask rigorous best owner questions. You know, does this company still fit our skills and our strategy? Are there tangible synergies with this business and our other businesses? This is really forcing themselves to be tangible and not uh, have ephemeral synergies. Do we have privileged insight into this market? The output of this process is they have a very clear decision of whether they're going to fix a business divest the business or reallocate resources into the business. And then they make the decision to optimize versus divest, regardless of last quarter's financials. So it's not necessarily this business is underperforming, let's divest it. It's this business no longer fits in our portfolio or we're no longer the best owner and let's make a move to divest. It helps clarify the equity story. It actually helps motivate employees. It can also help make it much clearer to potential investors or buyers. If I were to summarize all of the things that Obi talks about, as I look at my clients who have tended to outperform, I think that precision around the decision-making and having the facts at hand and a real clarity of purpose around how you're going to spend, why you're going to spend, or, you know, frankly, just what you're going to own. When we look at our data and some of the work that we've done and we've, we've recently published around just speed and the value created by executing a spin quickly. And by quickly, we mean in an 8 to 12-month time window. So between announcement and execution, companies who were able to have enough precision and enough forethought and enough planning to execute that separation within a year of announcement significantly outperformed those that took you know 13 to 24 months. We looked at it from an excess TRS point of view, but the, the gap is shocking, right? It's like a 5.8% positive excess TRS for those who were able to execute 
in the first kind of eight to 12 months from announcing a spin relative to negative 10.8% excess TRS. I mean, it's just a massive, a massive delta. The causation is what, what Obi mentioned when you really look at it, right? It's that precision. It's that understanding. It's that thoroughness around whether you're the appropriate owner of the asset. And then once you've made the decision, executing, right? Executing with speed. I remember seeing that um, that particular chart with the 12-month the delta, and I, yeah, that's a pretty eye-popping data point. It does speak to, Obi, the, the point you were making about tactical best practices. What are some of the tactical best practices that you've identified um, for those seeking to get most value from, from divestitures? One of them is making sure you have a dedicated divestiture team uh, and the right management team for Divesco with clear roles and responsibility between the parent and the company that is being divested. Uh, one of our phrases is an A team gives you A results and having a B team can get you C results. So making sure you have the right team with clear roles and responsibility about moving as quickly as possible. To follow up on Andy's point, we don't mean rushing through divestiture, a divestiture process. This requires precision and a lot of clarity to get right. What we mean is moving slow before you announce, doing your planning, getting your team in place, and then once you announce, moving as quickly as prudent to get the most value for the assets. Don't underestimate the complexities of disentanglement, both operational, managerial, and legal disentanglement, and make sure that the disentangled or the stood-up entity is reflected in the financials. Lastly, we, we advocate limited use of transition services agreements. Uh, co- companies often rely on TSAs to ensure that operations are not interrupted, and they're an important part of any divestiture process. But we, we think that it's best for Divesco and Remainco that TSAs are limited in duration and have very clear scope and boundaries. One way of thinking about this is that day one is no time to learn how to run a new company. The best investors ensure that the systems are airtight before day one because they don't want any operational hookups, financial hookups, or errors after the business separates. One company I know, they separate the business and they really force the business to stand on its own two feet inside Parentco for a period of time. They test clear business processes, such as order to cash, adding new customers, and making sure that the Divesco can, Divesco can complete all of these processes. And where Divesco can't, there's a TSA with a clear termination date to do that. And it just it makes day one a lot smoother and it sets up both Parentco and Divesco for success. Doing these kinds of things in advance to help really pressure test and understand some of the execution risk lets the remain company also do the same. I recently had a, a client that after they'd finished all of their design uh, of the spin and the separation, um, you know, they, they felt that this, the separation company is actually in pretty good shape, both of pretty good shape financially and the operations were going to look uh, quite healthy and things were working. But then when you do the look back on the parent company, you realize that even though you've picked the best line to draw operationally across the two companies, what remained was not something that was going to be attractive to the management team or to future shareholders all right, of the remaining company. It would also give them a jump start on getting their own house in order so that when the separation did ha- happen, they had a really clear plan in place to not only let the other company go and operate on its own and support it through TSAs, those TSAs that Obi mentioned, but also have their own plan in place to actually continue to lean out their own infrastructure to make sure 
that what did remain after the TSAs were over was something that was an attractive profile for, for everyone involved. Getting ahead of these kinds of things lets you address issues before, first of all, before they arise, and then second of all, before you get into a situation where you're having to do something drastic. Are there other pieces of advice that you would offer companies that are considering divestitures? You'd mentioned the need for precision, the need for speed. What other prescriptives would you have for companies that are just starting to talk about the opportunity for divestiture? The one piece of advice I'd give in addition to the two that you mentioned, kind of a concept of, of both honesty and, and having the integrity at the corporate level to, to look at not only your strategy going forward, but the assets that you have today, and, and just be clear and honest about where and how you want to deploy capital. I think, on average, companies who do a nice job of redeploying capital, which is a combination of both divestitures and acquisitions, are the ones that tend to outperform over a 10-year period. And making capital available is a big part of that. That mindset, that honest mindset around if we're going to really double down on our strategy going forward, if we're really going to grow the company, if we're really going to continue to evolve uh, the health of the overall business, we're going to have to um, evolve as a, as a corporate entity. We're going to have to evolve the profile of our businesses and doing that, right, and just doing it in a clear way, in an objective way, uh, at a cadence, as you mentioned, that that works for your company and works for your investors. The only other thing I would say is just around being deliberate. You know, it's easy for companies to talk about M&A. Uh, it's easy for companies to talk about growth and how they want to invest and, and change the business going forward. But as I mentioned at the beginning, it's not easy for them to talk about spins or, or divestitures, yet you need to. One of the pieces of advice I always give to my clients as they're going into their strategy process or their budgeting process is, you know, as part of the process, you should say, what are three things we would consider stop doing? Or what are three assets that we'd be willing to divest? It doesn't mean you have to divest them, but you need to make this discussion, this dialogue uh, around divestiture as integral to your portfolio planning process, to your budgeting process, as topics like growth uh, and, and increasing budget and increasing capex. Companies need to do that every time they talk about their future. One thing I'd like companies to take away for is really thinking like an investor and anchoring decisions in long-term value creation for both the parent co and for new co, and making a compelling equity value story that can excite the employees, excite management, also excite the investment community to set new co up for success. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Obi, Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Roberta. Absolutely glad to do it. Thank you, Roberta. You can find the article, Going, Going, Gone, A Quicker Way to Divest Assets, at McKinsey.com, alongside a full archive of articles and other materials we've published on spinoffs and divestitures. Please do visit our site, and remember to subscribe to the McKinsey on Finance podcast. 